Well, good morning. It is great to be here. Um, as Jeremy said, my wife and I had the privilege of living here in Chicago for a number of years. We came in 1998 and stayed for almost 10 years. We were living in the Elgin area and then up in Algonquin and had the privilege of being here the first Sunday that this church was launched several many years ago. So when we come here back to Chicago, it feels like home. We see lots of people that we've known for years and years, some for 35 years, not quite 40. Um, other people for 20 years, some people in the church we had the privilege of loving and serving and being loved by some dear, dear, dear friends in, uh, in the house this morning. So this morning I do want to uh, communicate from the Word of God, open it up, and just see what Holy Spirit has for us this morning. Um, so if you have a Bible, if you could turn to Luke chapter 8. And this morning, I want to talk, the title would be called Noble, N-O-B-L-E, Noble Hearts. Noble Hearts, kind of an old word. You don't hear noble so much anymore. We're going to see how it kind of fits in and weaves into uh, the scripture this morning and, and what the Lord has for us. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here. You're here to perform miracles. You're here to bring heaven's life. You're here to... Show us the Father. Show us Jesus. Illuminate the scriptures. So Holy Spirit, do what you do so well, which is to transform me, change me, shape me into who I really am supposed to be, who heaven says I am. So I thank you that you are here to bless, to encourage, to strengthen. And Holy Spirit, we say, do what you do so well. Amen and amen. So I want to read through Luke chapter 8. And this is a passage where Jesus, as we, as we know if you've been in church a little while, that Jesus taught, as recorded in the Word of God, so often in parables, illustrative stories, and he wanted to communicate heaven's truths to people in a way that they could understand and comprehend. And it's kind of like, heaven is kind of like this. Even though sometimes people completely missed the point of his stories, he used illustrations to help understand, help us understand, people understand his intention, why he was here, uh, his motives, his agenda, how, what heaven really looked like. In chapter 8 of Luke, we have a, a story, a beautiful, powerful parable that Jesus says potentially is the most important parable. And Jesus said, if you miss this parable, if you don't understand this parable, how are you going to understand any of the parables? So let's just look at it real quick. NIV is the text I'm going to use this morning after this. Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them the disciples and Jesus, were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told them this parable, this illustrative story. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with, and it choked 
and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. Everybody say good soil. Good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. When he had said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others, I speak in parables so that those seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. Here's the, here's the understanding. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy. And when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a little while. But in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. And they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. Let me read that last sentence again. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, the same story, same illustrative story is recorded by the, the, uh, the writer Mark. And he says, when he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. And Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How will you understand any parable? If you don't know this one, if you don't get the context, the contents, the understanding, how are you going to receive anything? And it's so funny I love the way Jesus allows us to see the real way people think and thought. So the disciples are standing around. It says large crowds are gathered from town to town. And Jesus says, hey, I'm going to tell you a parable. And the disciples are like, yeah, tell them a parable. They need to hear this. They're listening. Yeah, that's exactly right, what he said. And afterwards, the disciples are like, what were you talking about? And Jesus is like, guys, all right. This is what I'm talking about. And in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verse 13, he says, how are you going to understand anything if you don't get this one? This one is really, really important. Why? Because it talks about my heart. It talks about your heart. And if my heart is hard, if it's stony, if it's, if it's challenged, it's just not soft and fertile. Or if the seed goes in and it's not well watered or the cares of the world come up and choke it, the seed loses, and there's no problem with the seed. The challenge is always with my heart. When I was, I grew up out west for the most part. I was uh, born in West Texas in the, I'm not going to break into song for your benefit. Oh, it'd be ugly. It would get your attention. It would be memorable if I sang, but I love you, so I won't. But my whole family was born in West Texas in the town of El Paso. There's a, there's a song just waiting to be sung. <laughs> Grew up in West Texas, El Paso, and uh, went overseas. My dad was military, and we came back. And then we moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Anybody been to Albuquerque? Oh, it's a lovely town. Love it, love it, love it. I really do. And 
there are certain things that happen in West Texas and in Albuquerque and in the West, and, and I also spent some time in Arizona. There's just a different atmosphere, a different culture, a different um, ground looks different. I, think, I actually think cactus looks beautiful. But I actually have a video this morning, hopefully that will appear, of what West Texas and Albuquerque can look like. Now, those are tumbleweeds. If you've never seen them before, please go out west. Now, these tumbleweeds are actually, were formerly living plants. When they grew up green, they grew up with blossoms. But the problem with tumbleweeds is they have very, very little root. And they dry out very, very quickly. And they, when the winds come, it actually removes them from their shallow center their shallow root system and they just began blowing and the thing about tumbleweeds if you aren't familiar with the west is they're actually really prickly and they will cut you <laughs> they rub up against you and if you live out west you probably wear shorts or as my dad said short pants <laughs> and i learned really really quickly you don't want to be anywhere around a tumbleweed because they're so there's thorns like jagged thorns on the sides of all around them and as the tumbleweeds blow up and brush up against you, they will cut your legs. And I learned very quickly, you don't want to hang around tumbleweeds. They're not your friend. They're not a blessing. They blow up against the side of your house, against your fence. It's ugly. But the thing is, they started out as green shoots. They started out as something beautiful with blooms and seed in them. But because they are rootless, if you will, the winds of life comes along and blows them wherever they're not supposed to go. And as they're passing by, they cut. And they leave marks on people. And they're um, a distasteful thing when you live out west. You don't want to, hey, oh, look, hey, I'm growing tumbleweeds. <laughs> want, to, want your kids to come play in them? You can enjoy Band-Aids and Bactine. And when I read, when I personally read this parable in Luke chapter 8, this is where my mind goes to instantly, is the pain of tumbleweeds and the ugliness of tumbleweeds. They don't have a root system that will enable them to persevere, to hang on, to grow and flourish. And in the end, all they do is cause pain to everyone. And I think, Lord, I don't want to be a tumbleweed in life. As Jesus was talking about, with no root system, nothing holding it down, nothing keeping it soft and beautiful and fragrant and pungent, a beautiful garden. There's nothing there to sustain life. But they're just blown wherever life would have them go with the winds that can be refreshing, but not for a tumbleweed. They just take it. And I don't know if you are like me, if you've ever been out to Starbucks. I did not get my card this morning. I'm not a first-time visitor, but I want one. So if you have one, it might be mine. Just look on the back. If it says, Tom, that's me. Just give it to me. Actually, I don't do Starbucks. I don't like burnt coffee. But I'll exchange it for real coffee with somebody else. We can do a deal. I just feel it right now. I'm a dealer. But so many people, you, you go to a Starbucks or a Dunkin' Donuts, and it, and it just happened again this week. This, this man was up at the, at the front, and he was just so angry, so foul, so mean to the, to the server girl. I just want to go over and shake him by the ears. He was bigger, so I didn't. But I just wanted to shake him by the ears and say, leave her alone. She's a 19, 20-year-old little girl. This guy's grumpy, 50, 60 years old. That's my age bracket. 
And my thought and says, what happened to you? All, she, all she's doing is trying to help you. Why are you cutting so many people? And with what we do, we have my wife and I have the privilege of serving as, as pastors of the church in St. Louis. What we found so often is that the cutting doesn't happen necessarily at Starbucks. It can happen at home. It can happen to those closest to you. Because like many people, anybody have a Sunday face? Church face? You could be, you could be going through the worst time. As soon as you walk into church, you go, hey, John, good to see Mary, Lily, how you doing? Church face. Then you go home, and then you don't talk to your friends or your spouse the same way when you're going home. Church face. And so often the, the pains and the challenges of, li- of life that are so real bring out the ugly side on the inside. Does anybody ever, don't raise your hand, but maybe you're like me. Sometimes the pain and the winds of life blow, and they show what I'm really like on the inside. And that, that's not how Jesus intended life. He intended us to be rooted besides living waters, drawing sustenance, drawing the life of heaven. My destiny is not to be a tumbleweed where I just cut those closest to me. But my destiny is to be like the Garden of Eden, fruit-bearing, seed that causes to go way beyond my temporary lifespan of 75, 85, 95 years. The seed will continue through generations, through my children and my friends. That's my destiny. That's your destiny. But how do I, what do I do? How do I keep my heart soft? How do I get past the challenges of life, the winds that blow, the challenges that, as Jesus said, if you want to have a good and noble heart, you need to persevere. Now, that's not a happy word. Persevere means something's coming against me. Something is pushing against me. Something is challenging the blessing, the fun. Jesus says, no, if you want to have a good and noble heart, you need to persevere. Remain through challenges. Survive and thrive through challenges. So this morning, I want to do a simple acrostic. I know Dan and Fee are in England right now, and Dan is the king of acrostic. I don't think I've ever heard a sermon him do where he didn't do an acrostic. I don't think he's capable. I don't know. I've known him for a long time, and I've heard him speak hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, but never acrostic-free. So since this is home turf, I thought I would just one time use an acrostic. I actually had to look it up. What's the difference between an acronym and an acrostic? And as I looked through both, I still couldn't figure it out. So it's an acrostic. And if it's an acronym, it's that too. But in looking at this parable, I just want to do a quick one. It's only four letters. It's not 19. I, initially, I wanted to do like a whole paragraph of acrostic. But I thought, I like you. I'd like to come back. So we'll just do four letters. Soil. S-O-I-L. Soil. How do I keep the soil soft? The soil of my heart. The soil of your heart. Because from here springs everything. How I treat the people at Starbucks, how I treat the people I work with, the people I go to school with, the kid at school who's, from most kids, they're nerdy and they're geeky. How do I treat them kindly the way Jesus would instead of making fun of the nerdy, geeky kids? I have, would have two arms and two legs. I have pictures of me from school, but we're not looking at those pictures. We, uh, my family moved all the time, and I was always the new kid in school. When I graduated, I was 5'11 and weighed 125, fully clothed. 
So, yeah, I was always the new kid, and I know what it's like to get picked on, and you think, Lord, I want to not do the same that I receive from other people. I don't want to cut and harm people that are different, that look different, that have a different skin tone, different background, different uh, ethnic or educational or financial background. Lord, I want to be like Jesus. He related to everybody perfectly. Why? Because he had good soil. So how can I do that? What do I need to do in order to keep the soil conditions of my heart sweet and kind, blessing and loving, something, a garden that people would like to walk through and those closest to me would like to walk through? The first, the S, is simply, I call it self-aware. How do I keep my soil in my heart soft and kind, nutrient-filled, blessing, is to be self-aware, self-aware of my bents, of my and my needs that I would just naturally want. And I'm just going to take one aspect of that this morning. And what I have found is there are some people, many people, Christians, so we're just addressing just in the church this morning the way people are. Some people love to read their Bible, and they can't wait to get through all the songs Well, they just open the Bible. I just want to hear the Word of God. When you go home, you don't have the worship music on. It's noisy. It's annoying but you want to get into the Bible and you look for theology and you, you read books on doctrine. You just love, 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 love the word. And there's other people you just want to put on, you know, you just want me to finish up really quick so we can get back to more worship because wasn't that amazing this morning? Oh my gosh, you're touching heaven. But people have different bents. They have different appetites. Some people like meat and potatoes. Other people like pasta and pizza. Everybody has a bent and a desire. And one of the things I found in Christians is Really, really common is many people, they just want to get past the song so they can get to the word of God, the scripture. My, my wife is a worshiper. If you know my wife, Randy, we've been married 38 years. She's amazing. But my wife constantly has the Bible open. She is reading, 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 lots of other things also. But she just, she, and you talk to her and just the word of God just flows out of her. She loves the Bible. And many of us are like that. But the Bible says it's word and spirit. It's not one or the other. Other people, you just think, I just want to have worship music on. And Kim Walker Smith or Carrie, is it Job? Jobby? Job. We'll go with Job. You know, I think if it's in the Bible, it should be Job. Where's the E come from? Job. Okay, I just want to be good. Or um, Darlene Check. I know that's old school and dating myself. But man, you just you 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 flip on the the radio and there it's just there's Darlene, there's Kim Walker, there's you know Jen Johnson, and it's just worship, and your whole world is worship, and you remind yourself on Saturday night, oh yeah, I need to open up the Bible, where is it, honey? Where's my Bible? And it's not sin, it's not bad, but many people, many Christians, you have a bent. You love the Bible, but that getting in the presence and worship, it's just hard for you. It's harder for you. It's just, it's not quite as comfortable as just opening up the word of God and just looking through scripture. Other people, it's just the opposite. I just want to be in the presence, the presence, the presence. I love the presence. And yet the word of God clearly would lead us to understand that it's both. It's not one or the other. And am I self-aware enough to understand of what I need? Not so much what I crave, but what do I need? In my walk with God, am I so Bible-oriented, I'm neglecting the presence? 
and my soil condition, whether it's acidic or alkaline, and don't ask me to, I have, I've just looked it up. I, I don't garden, I don't farm, I go to the grocery store. Myers, that's my garden. But the garden needs to be well-balanced. It needs to have the right nutrients in it, or it doesn't produce healthy fruit. What is my natural disposition? If my natural disposition is, I just want to be in the spirit, I just want to be worshiping all day and basting and soaking, and yet I, man, the Bible, yeah, that, that, you know, that's Bob. Bob reads the Bible. I'm just, I just want to be in the presence. Can I just say, led long enough, you're going to tend to be a little wacky. The Bible is my stabilizer. It's the blueprint. It gives me boundaries from my life. So that, and I've had this happen. It was many, many years ago. A lady came, we were, my wife and I were pastoring a church back in St. Louis at the time in the, in the 90s. And a lady, a single lady came up to my wife and I and said, she was so excited. I know who I'm going to marry. And we're like, praise God. She's a lovely woman, lovely woman. I'm, I, I'm so excited. I'm going to marry Ed. And I'm like, Ed? Ed who? Ed Whitsonbaum. Oh, well, that's a problem. You should tell Ed's wife. She said, no, 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 no. The spirit told me I'm supposed to marry Ed. I, well, that's not the spirit, sweetheart. That's, that's weirdness. That's lusting. That's sin. That's lusting after someone else's spouse. The Bible is clear. Boundaries that lead me into green pasture, not into weirdness. Amen? Have you ever heard somebody, they come up and say, I see green grasshoppers hopping on top of orange carrots. I'm like, really good. I I don't know what that means, but God bless you. The word is meant to keep me healthy and real and relevant and non-weird. Hey, I I value non-weird. My wife and I, we love normal. If you know us, you might question that, but we personally value normal. But it's also to understand that it's the same people who put Jesus on the cross, cross, memorized the word of God, knew the Bible inside and out. The word, apart from the spirit, can tend to produce Pharisees. And so if I'm all about the word, the word, the word, man, I need to learn how to get acquainted with the spirit and soak in his presence and let the spirit soften my heart. It's so important. In Mark 127, the Bible says this. The people, I'm going to get way ahead of myself here. Oh, yes, that's it. Mark 127. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority and with power. Jesus had both. He wasn't just someone who could teach. He also had authority. He took authority over evil spirits and performed miracles. It's both. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. Jesus was a perfect blend of both, and so therefore should I be. Am I self-aware to know what is my general disposition? I gravitate towards this, or I gravitate towards that. I need a well-balanced diet. Know myself. If I'm not that Bible person, you know what I need to do? Open up the Bible. If I don't know where it is, that's a tip. <laughs> James 5, 39 through 40. This is Jesus speaking to a bunch of great people who know the Bible. 
Jesus is speaking to Bible knowledge people. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them, the scriptures, you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Just because I can recite scripture doesn't mean I have a soft heart. Doesn't mean I'm hearing the voice of God. Those very same Pharisees who knew the Bible better than any person in this room, including me, hung them on the cross because their hearts were hard and they resisted the spirit. It's both. What's my tendency? What do I need? Recently, I had a, I had a, a shrub. I was told that's what it was. I had a shrub in my front yard and it had died. And so I went out with my shovel and I was going to remove it under my wife's direct order. And I put this shovel in the ground and it just thud. It kind of banged and bounced. And, but I'm old enough now to understand. So I, I took the garden hose out. And I watered. And after about 60 minutes, it was a beautiful goo. Put the shovel in. It came right out. Why? Because the soil was soft. Dead things and weeds are easiest removed with softness. Do I understand what I need? Oh, for soil. So the first is being self-aware. What do I need? What do I gravitate towards, but what do I actually need to strengthen myself? And oh, is obedience. Put the seed into practice. Make it real. Make it practical. When tested, push, challenge. What is real actually comes out of me. I can say what I think, I can say what I feel, but what I'm actually living, that's my reality. Put the word of God, put his words into obedience. Ephesians 4.14 says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Paul is covering it all here. Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. James 1, 22 through 25. James 1, 22 to 25. Obedience. This is what the writer of the book of James said. Do not merely listen to the world, word, and so deceive yourselves. It's a, it is very possible I can listen to it, but I walk away kidding myself, delusional. How? Why? Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. What does that mean? Do what it says. It's not complicated. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at, the, at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. They will be blessed in what they do. It's so simple. Father, just because I've listened to 9,462, 63 as of today, I've listened to all these sermons doesn't make me mature. It doesn't make me a well-balanced person. It doesn't make me a soft-hearted, tender son of God. That my spouse benefits first. My children benefit second. 
the people at work and school, they benefit next. Where There's no promise. There's no guarantee. There's no reality if I don't actually do what the Bible says. How am I doing? And the good thing is on this side, I get to grade my own work. It, I was always a good thing in school. I made great grades when I graded my stuff. But the reality is I'm going to stand before the king of kings. And he's going to hold up the acid test, the reality. And you see, this was reality. How'd you do, Tom? And it's not with uh, harshness. It's not with a scowl. He's a faithful father. But he also brings me into reality. Tom, a soft heart. That, that was the goal. How did your spouse, if you're married, did your spouse benefit from it? Did she understand what it felt like to be loved, to be overwhelmed by a husband who says he loves Jesus? Because that's the reality is how all those around me feel around me. That's reality. Yes? It's so important. Yes, thank you for whoever said that. I heard that. James 4, 9. It says, and the God of peace will be with you if I put it into practice. I, so uh, S on soil, self-aware, O, obedience. I is invest the seed into others. Invest the seed into others. How do I keep my heart soft? How do I become just like Jesus? By making disciples. In Matthew 28, 19, the word of God says this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mark 10.1 says this. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, as was his custom. He taught them. Then in Mark 3, and this is where I would like to highlight just for a second. He was always with crowds, always with people. And in Mark 3.13 and 14, the Bible says this. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him, those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. Who's with me? On a Sunday, we're sitting next to somebody that we probably know, whether it's in front of us, beside, behind us, beside us. We probably know someone. And that was just like Jesus. Jesus was always with crowds of people. But he selected a handful of people to actually be with him. And he gave them his heart and he showed them what he really thought about things. Who is with you? If you're married, I'm not talking about your spouse, though obviously as I just mentioned, they should benefit first from whatever the beauty of the kingdom of God is. But my question is, do you allow people close to you? Because my friend knows what I'm really like. He hears and sees the way I'm treating my wife. He sees and hears the way I'm speaking to the lady at Starbucks. He sees the reality of what's happening in my workplace, why I've lost the third job in the last three years. Well, it's an idiot boss. You seem to have a lot of idiot bosses. Everywhere you go, let's do this. Let's visit a mirror. But people who are with you know you. And with Jesus' interaction with people, it's one of the most beautiful things about the scripture is you see 
Peter's reaction, who constantly stuck his, his foot in his mouth, constantly blew it, constantly making excuses, constantly attacking his brothers. Well, He's with people who are going to help him into reality. And Jesus took this inside of him, and he gave it to people who were next to him, who were with him, reality. Who's with you? Who are you um, opening yourself up to, being transparent with? It's one of my wife's favorite words is transparency. I don't appreciate it a lot of times. <laughs> we have a gentleman in our church. He's probably 45 years old. I'm going to go quickly now. He's probably 45, 50 years old. He's an uh, executive with MasterCard in St. Louis. Beautiful man. He's got three kids of his own. They're grown now. And recently, I was told by the children's church workers that this gentleman who works for MasterCard as an executive was spending time with one of the 13-year-olds. And, oh, awesome. We'll call him, we already used Ed, we'll call him Floyd. Floyd, spending time with one of the 13-year-old boys. And, and, and this 13-year-old boy defines hyperactivity, defines challenge, defines, he just has challenges, this young boy. And when he goes into children's church, it just causes massive children problems. And I found out this executive at MasterCard was spending time with this little boy. He's not his father. He's not a friend of the family. He's simply visiting and spending every week time with this boy. Why? Because he wants somebody to be with him. That's discipling somebody. That's loving somebody. And it keeps his heart soft. Who is with me? The last one is L for lavish generosity. Self-aware, obedience, in investing seed. The last is lavish generosity. Would people know me as someone who's incredibly generous? And I find generosity keeps my heart soft. It keeps me kind. And it's not just money, but am I lavish and generous with forgiveness? Am I lavish and generous the way I love people? Am I lavish and generous with the kindness of God? And yes, am I lavish and generous with my finance? It defines me. It keeps me soft. I'll close with this story. It involves somebody in this church here. Any, how many people know Hannah Stoltz? Yep, she's already gone. My wife and I, we grew up, uh, my, my family was in St. Louis a number of years, and Hannah's family grew up in St. Louis. And when Hannah was 13 years old, she used to babysit my two older children. That's how long we've known Hannah really long time. And Hannah babysat our, babysat our children for probably three years, my oldest daughter and my oldest son. And in 1995, we were moving to England. And we would bless Hannah. We would give her finance. We would give her money for watching our children just because we appreciate it because she does such a great job. And again, she was probably only 13, 14 at the time. And as we were leaving in 1995, going to England, Hannah came over to us on a Sunday because we went to church together. And she gave us, my wife and I, an envelope. She said, you knew I hated taking money for you for watching your children because it was kind of service. So she said, I saved all the money for three years. I wish it was thousands. If we paid better, we would have got thousands. <laughs> I got 19 No, I got <laughs> It doesn't pay to be cheap. But Hannah presented my wife and I with an envelope with every dollar we'd ever given to her. Just as a teenager, as a 13-year-old girl, she's probably 14 at the time, she said, 
I don't want your money. I just wanted to serve you. I just wanted to bless you. And here's your money back. Why? Because she's lavishly generous. Even as a teenager, lavishly generous. How am I doing? Is that the way I view people? Am I always looking how I can bless someone? Am I always looking at how I can overwhelm someone in love? A lavish generosity. How am I doing? Because it's a condition of my heart. Can everyone stand, please? Father, I thank you so much for the word of God. I thank you for your truths that remain timeless, that remain perfect and beautiful in every way. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here, that you do miracles, that you change me, you change us into the likeness of him. Holy Spirit, I, I pray now that you would help me be in reality and to gauge well, to read well the condition of my, the soil of my heart that I would run to your word to find you, that I would run into your presence to find you. But Lord, but I would run to you, that my heart would be soft, that I would never again, never a possibility of looking like a tumbleweed rolling through life, hurting other people. But Father, I want to have deep roots. It's beautiful, like a beautiful garden. There's a picture up on the wall. A beautiful garden, Lord, that's pungent and fragrant, aromatic, that it looks like the Garden of Eden. And that is a picture of my heart Lord, may it be that I'm a constant blessing to everyone who walks through my life, that they see you in beauty and me. Thank you. Do what you do. Amen and amen. If you'd like to have prayer this morning, I want somebody to stand with you. I know Jeremy already asked if we could listen to you.